Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Welcome back to The Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes, along with Garrett Turney and Trey Reeves. I'm Mitch Mason. Glad to have you back here for episode two of the podcast. Episode one, we started out uh, this series on a positive note. We talked about the top five coaching hires in each of our estimations, trying to figure out who really went out and made a big splash in the offseason and who potentially is set up to make a run at the college football playoff with their new head coaching hires, or at least get to the next level as a program. In this episode, it's not necessarily the opposite side of the coin, but we do want to go over five head-scratching head coaching hires in our estimation. And we've come up with kind of a consensus list to keep this one shorter, to keep it more uniform. But before we get into it, I, I do want to say that this that it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't approve of the coaches themselves, right? Uh, we're wondering about a couple things, fit, uh, overall scheme, and really is that school in a position to capitalize from a new coaching hire. So all of that I think will become very clear as we get throughout this episode. Uh, before we get into it, have to remind you guys to head over to our social media channels as a new podcast. We love to interact with people uh, who are joining the family for the first time. And obviously we want to hear from you guys as well. So head over and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 3TechPod. And you can also write into the show uh, through our Gmail account, 3TechPod at gmail.com. Maybe you loved our list from episode one. It's one of your team's coaches and you're absolutely in love with that. Maybe you completely disagree with us, and we'd love to hear that as well. But again, follow us on Instagram and Twitter and write into the show at uh, the Gmail as well. But uh, Trey, Garrett, glad to have you guys back with us. Uh, Trey, obviously, we're kind of going over some of these maybe more dubious head coaching hires today. When you were looking through this list and, and compiling this list, what were some of the things that stood out to you as to why these five guys ended up getting named? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head in that intro. It's not that we think uh, these guys have no shot at success. Um, there's going to be a few coaches that we talk about that have had a lot of success as head coaches in the past. Um, but it's just whether it's the fit in uh, the new city that they're in or um, cultural or scheme or just X factor, we want to make sure that we – call out that we're not sure that these five guys were um, the best hires at the best time for these programs. So we also don't want to be a show that is one of those awful takes that um, a school should know their place. You know, Um, I hate that take in college football and um, that's not what we're saying. Like you shouldn't make a change. You should know your place, but these five guys, they just have some red flags and we want to call those out and talk about them. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into that list. Again, this is a consensus list that we put together. So Garrett, you're leading us off here. Number five, we're going to go inverse order this time, five to one, which would be our ultimate red flag. And I think there's going to be plenty of discussion once we get down to number one. But Garrett, go ahead and lead us off with number five, Tony Elliott. Yeah, so looking at Tony Elliott, uh, we're again, we're not saying that he's a bad coach. We're not saying he's a bad guy. Obviously, a really great story. Uh, but we're just saying, you know, especially as we go into, uh, you know, the rest of this podcast, when we get a little bit further towards the season, we're going to talk a lot more about betting. This is not a guy that I would mortgage the farm to put it all on Tony Elliott. Um, you know, this is a guy that I think uh, he's, again, solid, had a lot of success at Clemson. They brought in recruiting classes uh, with elite playmakers, but... Uh, are they going to be able to rely on that same level of recruiting at Virginia? You know, um, he's coming in replacing Bronco Mendenhall. Obviously, a lot of confusion about why he's gone. Kind of some last-minute decisions uh, made to get him in there. But uh, is he the guy that's going to unseat Dabo? You know, I think we we kind of thought about this a little bit and said, you know, I think that maybe just maybe in that uh, conference that you know you're looking at a bunch of coordinators filling up some of those spots. Maybe Elko was the best one at Duke. Um, and, and why couldn't they get a guy like Elko or even, you know, another couple guys that might even be on this list. But, uh, you know, I'm just kind of looking at this and saying when it comes to Tony Elliott, we're, we're looking at uh, a lot of talent flooding into the ACC. We're looking at teams like Miami coming up. UNC has been, you know, increasingly better the last few years. Uh, Pitt, obviously, with their success last year and Clemson still staying atop that conference. Uh, we're going to find a really quick whether or not this was his offense or whether this was, you know, Deshaun Watson or, or, or Trevor Lawrence's offense. We're just going to figure out if he's going to be able to maintain that success or, you know, is there going to be a drop off? And, and maybe this isn't his uh, best place uh, in his first stop as a coach. Yeah, I think Elliot's an interesting hire, Garrett. Like you mentioned, he's got a great story. I mean, the guy uh, was homeless as a kid at one point. He was in a vehicle accident that killed his mother. His dad ended up going to prison. Uh, you know, so this is a guy who, in his own story, he said kind of everything was stacked against me, but he moved in with his aunt and uncle in South Carolina, ends up walking on to the Clemson football team, gets a, an engineering degree from Clemson, and has obviously had a lot of success there as the offensive coordinator. You know, kind of what we're wondering through all of this is, were there so many resources and advantages there at Clemson as, as Dabo built that program up? Is any of that going to translate over to Virginia? And, you know, Trey, the, the interesting thing that, that Garrett mentioned to me, Mike Elko goes to Duke. Very similar situation in that it's a smaller recruiting pool, right? You've got to have immaculate grades to get into both of those schools. But with Elliott, he's an offensive coach as opposed to Elko being a defensive coach. You know, Virginia hasn't had a problem moving the football the last couple of years. It's been that defense that's been atrocious. And I, I kind of wonder if maybe going in the offensive direction wasn't a misstep there. I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. And I think it's easy to look at just the way football is moving in the last couple of decades and say, Oh, you have to hire an offensive guy. Offense is the way of the future. But when you look at it, it's way easier to find recruit and develop offensive players than it is defensive players so if you have a guy like a Mike Elko that can bring in talent on the defensive side of the ball has those skins on the wall um, I think that's going to translate really really well to Duke who Virginia is going to have to play every single year in the same division in the ACC Um, but 
you know, like like we said, you know, Elliot, he he's a great he's been a great offensive coordinator. We're gonna see if that was more um, the talent that he was able to have at Clemson, or if it was his scheme. I think you're starting to see a few uh, cracks in the armor at Clemson in general, not just um, from Tony Elliott. This is going to be a big season for Dabo Sweeney. Um, he doesn't have a Deshaun Watson or a Trevor Lawrence walking through the door. DJU is, you know, didn't uh, prove a lot of people right about his recruitment last year. What's <laughs> great. You know, like we can sit here and say, yeah, go hire the best coordinators in the conference. But is that program at Clemson? Is it on the decline? Who knows? So there's a lot to be said, just lots of question marks as Elliot makes the move over to Virginia. Yeah. And to wrap up my point statistically, Virginia 21st in the country in total offense, according to sportsreference.com. They, uh, you know, let's play, let's play a quick game over under the hundredth ranked defense in the country, Trey under that's like above 100, right? Like 101 to 119. Uh, go. So over. So you're saying, over. okay, over, over. Yeah. yeah worse. Worse. Garrett. Yeah. I'm also going to go with the Warriors. I, they, they were pretty bad. Yeah. They, uh, <clears throat> they come in at 104 right Oof. behind our friends at USC, uh, Virginia averaged giving up 31.8 points a game last season. So that's not the recipe for success. <laughs> it's not the direction <laughs> you want to be moving in as uh, even a bowl eligible team. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of questions for Tony Elliott. Can he recruit? Um, and yeah, what's the future of the ACC look like, right? I mean, technically, is there maybe a little bit of a void to step in there? Sure. Uh, but this is also a program that is reeling a little bit, Garrett, like you said, from Mendenhall stepping down. They're trying to, to build some more facilities. They've got a naturally smaller recruiting base. A lot, lot of unknowns with the Who's. So we'll see. But you know what? Reading up for this podcast, the, the smart move from every new coach, welcome the alumni back in, baby. And oh, yeah. that is exactly what Tony Elliott is doing. He's getting the players, the former players, to trust him. Um, that's, that's really all you can do, right? Make it seem like an open-door type of program. Shake hands, kiss babies, and, you know, at least Elliot's doing that. And bring uh, the money we, back. <laughs> and, and that, too. All right, we move to number four on the list. Tony Elliott coming in at number five. Trey, you've got number four, a guy that uh, I may have to go to bat here for in just a little bit. Yeah, Mitch is going to vehemently disagree. Um, but for number four, coming in on our list at number four, it's Brent Pry. Um, he is the former Penn State defensive coordinator coming into – Virginia Tech placing replacing uh, Justin Fuente. Um, and this is a guy, you know, he's an experienced defensive coordinator, and we just kind of beat the drum for um, defense in that last segment. But, um, you know, he's been with uh, James Franklin, um, both at Vanderbilt and Penn State for 11 years now. Um, but my biggest question is, you know, and I know we don't want to be a podcast that says know your place. Um, we don't want to um, – ever berate a team for thinking that they made an upgrade, but is this an upgrade over Justin Fuente? Um, because coming in, you know, he was a hot name when he was hired by Virginia Tech out of Memphis. Um, he was highly sought after by a lot of really big programs. Um, you have some down seasons, um, you know, that first, first year winning 10 games and then trending down from there. 
um, but uh, getting let go in the middle of last year. But I just don't know a, a program with the tradition of Virginia Tech of um, lots of success, um, especially in the last couple of decades. Um, going and hiring a coordinator just doesn't feel like a big splash to me. And and again, in their own division, uh, Duke gets Mike Elko, who was pretty handily a better defensive coordinator than Pry, and seems like he has some more uh, better head coaching tendencies, at least in my evaluation. So I just have a lot of questions uh, with the decision. I think Pry is a great coach. He's definitely had some amazing defenses and had gotten some amazing talent on board, um, especially at Penn State, but just a lot of questions coming into Blacksburg. Yeah, Garrett, I'd love for you to chime in off of this. Obviously, in our notes, one of the things that we had was just a very meh hire, right? A very lukewarm hire. Your thoughts on on Mr. Pry, uh, Don in the Gobbler's gear? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm looking at this. I'm thinking this is kind of the same situation that Tony Elliott's in across the state. You know, we're, we're talking about a guy coming in as a coordinator, um, you know, no real experience doing this. Um, and he's having to outdo the rest of the ACC. He's got a little bit less curb appeal, I think, than what Tony Elliott has, which is not going to work in his favor. Um, you know, you're looking at this, you're saying, can he out-scheme and out-recruit? You know, we're talking about, you know, Chris Ball down in Miami now. We're talking about Mac Brown at UNC. You know, we're, we're, we got some really good coaches and some great recruiters, uh, you know, in this conference. And I'm just really curious if they're going to be able to overcome that. So again, I don't hate the hire. Don't, don't think he's a bad coach and he could certainly have success. You know, I know that they're on the uptick in recruiting, but you know, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be able to overcome some of those, you know, things? And I'm also thinking, you know, talking about the portal, you know, are they going to be able to bring in enough guys at the portal with a coach who doesn't have the name recognition? He's not at the big school, you know, and and it's just, it's tough to overcome that on the way up. It's not saying it can't be done, but it's just really tough to overcome that. Uh, you know, in that conference right now. Yeah, listen, I, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So the reason, and every, our audience will understand this as we go along. I think at some point, excuse me, we're actually going to have an episode that kind of features the darlings that each of us have around the CFB that aren't necessarily the school that we went to, but teams that we just kind of naturally like to root for or, uh, have learned to root for, and Virginia Tech is one of those teams for me. So I'm not disagreeing with Pry being on the list. Like when you look at the head coaching hires um, from this season, Brent Pry was a guy that I did scratch my head about a little bit. Now, this is probably the only guy that I'm going to defend here on this list, and I will start with this. Brent Pry, former defensive coordinator at Penn State. Now, you, Trey, you mentioned Mike Elko moving from Texas A&M over to Duke. Um, Pry had the seventh-ranked defense at Penn State last year. Elko had the third-ranked team defense at Texas A&M. So, yes, a better defense uh, in Aggieland than in Happy Valley, but I don't know that it was by all that much, although as soon as you start getting into maybe average points scored per game, there is a sizable difference, a point and a half to two points um, on average per game. That being said, Brent Pry has recruited some of the top talent when it comes to linebackers, when it comes to defensive edges in the country over that time. And I'm hoping that as he moves over to Blacksburg, he can bring some of that with him. Now, defense, I don't know, is going to be the issue for Virginia Tech. And that's one of the things that in Blacksburg over the last 
you know, 20 years or so, they've been known for solid defensive play, whether it's defensive backs. You look at the Edmonds brothers that both came through there that are playing linebacker in the NFL now. They've had solid talent come through that program. You look on the offensive side, though, and he brings in a guy in Tyler Bowen who was the tight ends coach with the Jacksonville Jaguars last season. That's where I start to wonder, okay, you know, is Pry in over his head just a little bit? And what you guys were saying where, hey, is it an appreciable upgrade over Justin Fuente? I don't know if it is or not. I'm going to hope as a, you know, distant geographical Hokie fan that it is. Uh, He does have six commits so far in their class, but he's got to be able to recruit the state of Virginia. He's got to be able to recruit the, the Carolinas as well even down into Georgia and Florida and keep some of that talent home. Whereas we're normally seeing it go across the country to other ACC powers or even to the SEC schools. That's going to be Brent Pry's biggest issue. So again, I don't necessarily disagree that he's on the list. That's my defense as a hopeful Hokie fan that, Hey, maybe he rises above that station, but no doubt things have been bad in Blacksburg. Their offense has got to figure it out. They've got to find a quarterback, man. I mean, they straight up do not have a quarterback at Virginia Tech right now. Um, they, they really haven't for the last couple of seasons. I think Grant Wells is probably going to be the starter there. Kid who transferred in from Marshall was fantastic in the COVID season. After, what, the first five weeks, it was Grant Wells for Heisman everywhere you looked. And then last year, he threw all the interceptions for the Thundering Herd. So, is there a chance that Virginia Tech improves? Sure. Do I hope that's the reality? Also sure. Do I have a number of questions? Absolutely. So uh, Brent Pry at four on the list, I, I think is very fair. Glad he's not further down the list, though, as we move into our final three here. Garrett, you've got Stan Drayton, Texas running back coach, going over to Temple. Yeah, and obviously, you know, Stan Drayton, who's been around, uh, definitely not, you know, unfamiliar, not, you know, just starting his career off. He's been around uh, and, you know, he's familiar with Philly. So that's definitely a plus when you're going to Temple. But, um, you know, the question I think we had here was just when you hire a position coach, when does that really work out? Uh, the obvious example is Sam Pittman. Um, but again, that's a huge difference in pedigree coming from, you know, a championship contender when he was there an eventual winner. Uh, coming on over and you know there's a lot of a talent difference as well in recruiting and what you can pull at Arkansas versus what you can get to Temple Um, and you know so when you got a guy like Stan Drayton going where he's going um, again it's just going to be what can he do uh, you know despite the fact that he's been a running back coach uh, at Texas the last couple years so uh, you know Temple needs a change Um, is this the guy to do it that that's really the question we have here yeah, Trey, uh, as Garrett mentioned, a Philly guy, he knows the area well, but gosh, Temple's not exactly a football school, not exactly a powerhouse. A lot of really good recruits up there in the Philly area, but you know, as we've seen in the last couple of years, they're going north to other powers. They're going to play in the Big Ten. They're coming south to play in the SEC even. Uh, you know, is, is Drayton really the guy? Yeah, Temple is a hard, hard place to win. And, you know, they are still, I think, recovering from losing Matt Rule to Baylor. Um, they haven't really been able to find um, find that spark that he was able to um, 
get when he was there. And yeah, like you said, there's a lot of talent in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, Virginia, Maryland, New Jersey. There is a ton of talent, but it is an uphill battle trying to get those guys to go to Temple when they can go to Rutgers or Penn State or Pitt or West Virginia or just any number of schools that are also in that area. So rooting for him. It's more interesting when simple is a factor in the, in the American, but yeah. uh, it's just an uphill battle. Well, and that makes me wonder, you know, temple temple went three and seven or three and nine. I'm sorry. A season ago, one in seven in conference. And, you know, we're going to have conference previews later in the summer as we approach, uh, you know, kickoff um, of the 2022 season. But, you know, real quick, with a position coach who doesn't have just a ton of name recognition on a national scale to the casual, you know, fan recruiting base, what have you, what do we think the the ceiling is for a Temple program? I mean, Matt Rule was the last guy that really got the most out of that program. You know, is Temple a perennial bowl team, a, a team that can threaten for conference championships? I think so. Like I think we've seen that in the past, and I'm I'm kind of trying to pull up really quickly just their past records. But th- there's a lot of talent there, and I think there is an appeal to a certain type of recruit to stay close to home and to um, be a part of something building in Philadelphia. But um, yeah, you know, are they going to be a Cincinnati that crashes the college football playoff picture? Probably not, but. They do kind of check a lot of the same boxes as Cincinnati being in a major city, um, having a fertile recruiting ground around them. They, if they, with the right coach, who knows? Well, and he's certainly proven that he can recruit. He's certainly proven that he can coach. Well, it's all just about if he's going to put together a good staff, that's going to be able to recruit consistently. I mean, he can't be everywhere while he's running the program. You know, he's going to be a little bit spread thin for what he used to. And so, you know, we're just kind of looking at this saying again, we don't hate the coach. That's you know kind of the theme here. We don't hate the coach. We're just saying this wouldn't be the guy to write home about. This wouldn't be the guy to put all your chips in on. You know, we would probably prefer staying out on this and just kind of waiting and seeing. You know, we there could be big things in the future for Temple, but you know, I'm kind of in the prove it phase. You know, I want to see him do it. They well, won ten think... games in back to back years in 2015 and 2016. Um, yeah, and under Matt Rule. So there's a lot there's a lot of possibility there with the right coach had some good draft picks come out Hassan Reddick comes to mind who went to Arizona you know great edge player pass rusher for them you know I, I think I think for Drayton what he needs to do is follow the model of a guy like PJ Fleck at Western Michigan back in the day right you've got to get you've got to create something so unique about your program, and, and I'm not saying row the boat was necessarily unique to Western Michigan, but that mantra in that season, that mentality in that season, it was something that was the only thing going in Division One football, right? And I think that's what he's got to create there at Temple. He's in a recruiting hotbed. I mean, there, there's got to be ways to turn over stones and find uncut gems, right, uh, in that area, in the region. But then you look at the stats, and oh my goodness, at least he'll have knowledge on how to improve that offense. They were 127th out of 130 teams last year in team offense. They scored 16.3 points a game. They averaged, total average offense was 286 
for the game. That is incredibly low in today's modern college football where a lot of offenses are, you know, north of 350, 400 yards as an average. So a lot of work to do there in Philly. Um, You know, maybe Drayton's the guy to get it done. I think really the question is when you're up against it at a program like Temple that is so down in the weeds, do you need a proven name to go in or can you rely on maybe a younger guy who's got some offensive swag to come in and flip the program around? We'll see. Uh, now, so these first three guys, we've had you know positive things to say about them. Not to say that there won't be a positive comment or two, but the fellas are licking their chops right now. Number two, Jim Mora going to UConn. Uh, and I, I've forgotten which one of you guys has this, but Oh my goodness. It is me, and I'm very excited um, to <laughs> dig into this. Um, UConn, what are we doing? I, I know. <sighs> Listen, UConn, I know it's been a rough go of it. I know, you know, we're still searching for the glory years of Randy Etzel, and being, going at it as an independent in the state of Connecticut is no easy task, especially when you are a basketball school and a lot of your student body probably forgets that you have a football team and you might be the fourth most popular program on your campus behind both be basketball gentle, teams. Be gentle, Trey. Be gentle. Both basketball teams and the baseball teams having a fantastic season this year. Yeah. They're probably the fourth most popular program on campus. Um but what are we doing? Why Why is Jim Mora our savior if we're the UConn Huskies? Uh, this is a guy who's – I'm just going to read this off. His, his, his big splash debut was coaching the Atlanta Falcons, who had Michael Vick, um, got them a division championship, and then he promptly went 8-8 eight and eight and 7-9 and nine in his next two years in Atlanta. And then for some reason the Seattle Seahawks thought it would be a good idea to – hire him he lasted one year in seattle um and you know he did have i'll I'll be i'll be fair he did have a couple of really exciting seasons at ucla winning the sun bowl and the alamo bowl and i'm not being sarcastic there like that is good success for put some respect on the sun bowl's name listen (laughs) historic bowl game we love the sun bowl big fans of utep um on this show but (laughs) he he hasn't he hasn't done anything of note since 2014. And that was, you know, winning 10 games in the Pac-12 at UCLA, a school that should have a ton of talent advantages over the other schools in their conference. Talent advantages that he is not going to have at the University of Connecticut. So, you know, if you're looking for a splash name, it definitely draws some attention to UConn, but... What are we doing? I, I feel like this is going to crash and burn in one year, and UConn's going to be looking for a new coach in December. Just can you crash personally? Can you crash and burn harder than they did with Etzel again, though, bringing him back? Well, he literally I mean, quit. But at least, at least he had. That was a guy that had done it there before. You know, like this is a guy that hasn't. He's won. He's his calling card. The reason that he has gotten any of these jobs as he won 11 games in the NFL with Mike Vick before and mobile quarterbacks were even a thing. That was in 2004, right? <laughs> in 2004. Yeah. 18 years ago. 
Yeah, shout out to the 2004 Madden game when Mike Vick was literally unstoppable. That's that's what was playing through my head as you were describing that. Uh, yeah, and Garrett, Jim Garrett, Moore, take it away. Jim Moore is oh, getting jobs off that still. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, look, when we're talking about retread coaches, I mean, was Marvin Lewis not available? Like, could we not make a call for like a Brett Bellina yeah. or Coach Jones or someone like that? Like, I mean, come on, we're none of these guys available. Why did we go with Jim Mora? I mean, again, look, can he win? Sure. Uh, could UConn find themselves in a position where, you know, they get star players showing up all of a sudden? I mean, I've seen crazier things happen. Uh, but no, this is just this ain't the sexy pick. This isn't the the good pick. This isn't the, okay, I guess I see where you were going with this pick. This is just kind of a, you know, was this the last guy in line when you decided to interview for the coaching spot and all the other guys just didn't pass the background check? I mean, who, who are we talking about here? This isn't a guy that's won a lot. This isn't a guy who's been overly impressive. This is just kind of a guy that you can throw in there as a warm body. This one, I think, is the most head scratching of all the five, right? Can we agree on that? Oh, for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, just not a lot of... I I mean, it's UConn, right? It, have they, They've they had some talent in the past. I mean, they had Byron Jones that drafted by the... Well, yeah, but I, I mean, football, <laughs> they've had some talent. Uh, Byron Jones was a first-round draft pick. Travis Jones, I can't... Uh, did Jones go to the Ravens yeah, in this last are, draft? I think he went to Ravens. Baltimore, slipped yeah. down to the third round, which was surprising. Some people had him mocked in the first, but, you know, good... Good talent. Good talent. So it's going to take more than Byron mean? Jones for Jim Mora to win at freaking UConn. Okay. Yeah. It's one, I, of the two, it's one of the two hardest places to win in the FBS. UConn and UMass are sure. going to be the two hardest places to win in the FBS because they don't have a conference and yeah. they don't have a name recognition like an Army or a BYU or a yeah. Notre Dame. So, and you're way up in the Northeast. I mean, it's no talent. It's you kind of you kind of forget about them, to be quite honest. Well, you don't forget about them when basketball season rolls around. <laughs> that's that that's fair. Good Shout good out point there. Um, there you yeah, I, you know, Mora coming out of the broadcasting retirement, he wasn't even that great of a broadcaster. So I think, <laughs> you know, I think retread is is a great look. A great I mean, description here. UConn, send your emails, okay? If there's just a really passionate fan base of UConn guys that really want to step up and defend Jim Mora, yeah, uh, you, can, you can find us. us on Twitter. That's right. There are That's dozens right. of them, Garrett. Dozens. <laughs> right I'm going to get a really angry email from one guy who actually is probably following <laughs> UConn sports. That's right. 3techpod at gmail.com. UConn Nation. Let us know. your hate, Husky Nation. We're here for it. We are rooting for you, but you don't, you're not going to get there with Jim Mora. I'm yeah, don't, don't like the hire for yeah, sure. Better luck next time. All right, so the final name on this list, uh, and I feel like this has got to be the, ex, the, uh, the asterisk of all asterisks. We're not necessarily saying that this school will not win with this head coach. What we are saying is when this head coach was hired at said school, the eyebrows raised in our three households uh, was was incredible. The fit does not seem to be there, as I think we're about to get into. Um, Fire it, it up. It, Here it, comes the hot take. It, it truly it truly did did not seem like like the news was reporting it correctly when it first came out. 
Brian Kelly going from Notre Dame to Louisiana State University. Boys, uh, take it away, please. Uh, well, I'll lead off on this one uh, personally. Uh, you know, I I don't think the brighter days are ahead for LSU on this one. I'm going to be honest. Um, you know, a couple things that we had uh, sort of here is just the culture fit. I mean, you throw on a fake accent from the South, you know, <laughs> one of your first weeks on campus to try to fit in. But we've all seen the bizarre dancing videos where, you know, he's sitting there, you know, kind of creepy standing behind recruits. I'm like, this is a high school kid. Like, what are you doing? You're a grown man. I, I'm just, I'm very confused by all of this. You know, obviously he was fine at Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame, a perennial power, you know, they're the blue blood type school, but I mean, I'll go ahead and break down some of these. You got the all time record versus sec schools, right? This we're talking about an sec coach now. SEC <clears throat> yeah. or, uh, BCS, New Year's Six yeah. of college football. Right. Players. We're looking at, at big time games, big time programs, not the stuff that Notre Dame gets to schedule. Um, we're talking about a loss at Kentucky in 2006. We're talking about a loss versus Virginia Tech in 2008 versus, uh, in the Orange Bowl. Uh, we're talking about a loss versus Alabama in the BCS National Championship back in 2012. When they got shellacked. The, yeah, they that did not look particularly close. Um they did beat LSU in the Music City Bowl. Um, that was good back in 2014. Uh, big dub for the Music City Bowl. Um, again, a couple losses. We got Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl, Georgia uh, in 2017. Uh, they also beat LSU again in the Citrus Bowl back in 2017. And they did, for they their credit, Vandy. they did beat Vanderbilt. Uh, not necessarily a tall task, but they did beat Vanderbilt. Uh, and then you round that like out with all task. I remember watching that game at twenty two seventeen final. <laughs> you wouldn't think it would be that difficult in that game, yeah. you know. And so you you round it out with some losses to Clemson, Georgia, Bama the last few years, uh, and in some big spots, right? College football playoff semifinal games. And so you're just kind of looking at this and saying, where has he proven he can win the big game? Well, he can beat LSU, um, but now he's coaching at LSU. And yeah, sure, he can beat Vanderbilt, but, you know, there's not a whole lot of teams in the SEC that can't. So, you know, we're looking at this. He's got some success in some of the smaller areas, but what has he done on the big stage? I mean, Trey, am I wrong here? Am I, am I just looking at this the wrong way? Brian Kelly is a good coach. Uh, so don't don't hear what we're not saying. Brian Kelly is a really, really good He's fine. Coach. He's all, a- all-time, all-time winningest coach at Notre Dame, must be said. And that is, and that's a storied program, right? Yeah. So he is a good coach, but the man has never lived further south than I don't know which one's further south. To be honest, I think South Bend is South Bend or Cincinnati, but the the upper Rust Belt is the furthest <laughs> south that this man has ever lived. And like Garrett said, like I just think this culture is not going to be a fit if you've ever spent any time in louisiana it's a lot different than south bend indiana um yeah it it, it's a splash hire it it raised some eyebrows it was probably the best coach either uh, kelly or lincoln riley would have been the best hire that on paper that scott woodward possibly could have made just from a pure results and pure um past success standpoint but when you look at the cultural fit, when you look at how Brian Kelly recruited, how Brian Kelly did things at Notre Dame, 
he's going to be asked to do a lot different style of recruiting, a lot different style of program management at LSU that I just don't know that he has the, maybe stomach's the wrong word, but we're talking also talking about a program that stole money from a children's hospital. Um, Allegedly, right now. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. Still waiting for that (laughs) one to come in. Where would you guys rank? So looking at just the SEC West right now, and you don't even have to take, you know, you don't even have to add Sarkeesian and Venables because we don't know if they're going to be in the SEC West when they move. Where would you rank him as the SEC coaches? Because I've got him maybe third in in a competition for third with um, with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, but yeah, I don't think you can say he's definitively better than Jimbo. I don't think you can say he's definitively better than Saban. Oh, he's, he's not better than Saban, no. <laughs> so, well, and he's not better than Jimbo third? either. You're right. Is he third? Is he fourth? Is he lower? Like I, I would I say, know. I would say third because of what he has done. And look, Notre Dame storied program, uh, very passionate fan base. Tough to win there, to be quite honest, because In you know we talked about it with Virginia. We talked a little bit of, uh, about it with Duke. Smaller recruiting margins when you've got such a high academic standard that eliminates, you know, a lot of five stars off the bat, right? Those kids uh, aren't necessarily going to prioritize academics, not to say that all, you know, high recruits don't, but, you know, a a lot of the recruiting base immediately gets eliminated because their high school grades aren't going to be good enough to go to Notre Dame. Pair in the fact that then you're going to South Bend, Indiana, which is not a party school. It's not a party town like you have springing up all over the country, right? Um, it, you know, there are some disadvantages to coaching at Notre Dame, and yet he perennial, perennially was in the top 10, in the top 15, made a couple of college football playoffs. You know, whether you can argue whether that was because they were independent and, you know, their schedule, all of that aside, he still got them there. And so I do think he's top three in the SEC West. Um, I do think that, you know, he's going to win games at LSU. I don't know that he's going to continue that trend of winning a national championship at LSU. It's what the past two or three head coaches at LSU have each won a national championship. Last three head coaches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Saban, Les Miles and Edo, all three won national championships. So for me, I I, want to see what he does recruiting. I want to see how he connects with the kids. Um, you know, it was certainly weird seeing some of the the TikToks and and the recruiting antics that happen, right? The fake, uh, the fake accent and stuff like that. But I will say the positive side of that is that he still did it, right? Like he, the the kids probably asked him to do that, and so that was his way of connecting with it. Does it look weird to everybody else? Absolutely. But right. uh, you know, I, I do think that at the very least. Um, you know, he's, he's connecting with the kids. So we'll have to see wait, big wait and see factor. And to kind of tie that off a little bit that I think that kind of works against him. You know, I think the fact that, I mean, look, LSU fans are some of the most passionate fans in the country, right? They're absolutely ruthless. Anyone that's been to death, they'll tell you, right? Like LSU fans, they, they, they love their football down there. Their last three head coaches all won titles, but I mean, exception saving here, they've run them out of town after a little bit of failure. You know, they just run these guys out of town. 
I mean, Ed O stick like he stuck around for what two more seasons after they're, I mean, possibly the best team in college football history. And, and you run him out of town because he had a couple of down years, including a COVID year. So I, I'm not optimistic. You know, when I was, we were talking about the best coaches in the last episode, one of the things I talked about a lot was their ability to stick around, right? This is a confusing hire because I don't know that unless he has immediate success in a very tough SEC West and, you know, that's not to bring the rest of the conference in there. If he doesn't have that immediate success, if he doesn't get, you know, his feet on the ground quick and, and get running, then he may not be around for very long. It's a good point. Yeah. I think it, it's going to be really interesting to see how he adjusts to the life and grind of the SEC. I think, we have we have a lot of respect for Jimbo Fisher on this podcast. This is that's probably the closest comparison of, you know, Kelly hasn't won a national title. Jimbo did win a national title at Florida State, but jumping from the ACC to the SEC, that's taken Jimbo some time to adjust. And I think he would tell you that too. Like he would tell you that those first couple of years AM, the state that it was in was not ready to compete for SEC West titles. And LSU has been there more recently. Um, Anum's never been at the top of that division. LSU has been there in the last couple of years. But it's still a whole different animal in the SEC West. Um, and, yeah, you guys are absolutely right in saying, you know, Brian Kelly had a stretch from, uh, I think it was um, 2014 or somewhere around there. It, he had a four and eight year. In, in yep. the middle of uh, an eight and five and a seven and five. So that's not going to fly in Baton Rouge. They're going to run him out of town if he does that. Yeah. And interesting, interesting hire. Um, again, like uh, Trey, I think you were the one that said it, a splash hire, right? That was, it, it felt like they did lose out on Lincoln Riley. And we talked about that in the last episode where a lot of people thought Lincoln Riley was going to Baton Rouge and that would have made, sense to the vast majority of the country brian kelly makes sense from a name standpoint in that scott woodward who is known to go out and get whoever he wants to come in to whatever program he's at starting with chris peterson up in washington um but you know we we do wonder about the fit and you know some may say that hey fit doesn't really matter when it comes to coaching it's just can you win and we were talking about this before we hit record we would kind of question that ideology and we, we made a couple of names, right? You, you talk about, we talked about Matt Wells in the last episode at Texas tech, not a guy who fit with the culture of Lubbock literally in his weekly red Raider talk shows. It was almost like he was physically uncomfortable just because he didn't really gel with, with Lubbock, right. And with that culture there, Lane Kiffin at USC, that certainly didn't work out. Herm Edwards at Arizona state brought in to be this, you know, hey, NFL personality, we're going to do things right by the book. Their program arguably has gone backwards since he was hired. You know, he's brought in a pro-style pro offense. Obviously, all the recruiting stuff aside, all the violations there, and potentially the college football hell that that program is entering, they've gone backwards as a program from competing for, you know, potentially Pac-12 championships to, you know, just struggling to be relevant in the conference. Uh, Rich Rod at uh, Michigan, Dan Mullen and, and Jim McElwain at Florida, those experiments certainly didn't work out. And then, you know, we even talked about Charlie Strong a little bit at the University of Texas, where, again, they were they were guys that were brought in because they'd had past success. They were supposed to take that next step, 
to jump to a national championship contending program in some of these cases. And guys, it backfired just because they really didn't fit in with the culture of the program, with the fan base. And when that's the case, I think we've seen, you know, look, those fans can turn on you really, really quickly. And yeah, and and what we should, again, just huge asterisk is – I would argue none of those coaches we said that were bad fits have the skins on the wall that Brian Kelly has of taking sure. a team of course, as almost as high as you can possibly take a team. And the last time LSU hired a coach from up north, it worked out pretty well from them in getting Nick Saban from Michigan State. So we could be CCing freezing cold takes on any graphic that we <laughs> post with this. Um, and Brian <laughs> right. Kelly could turn out to be um, – a a revelation for LSU football. But um, I think we are right to point out the pretty obvious, um, pretty obvious reasons for pause. I'll say um, before getting on his hype train. Certainly, certainly a lot of, a lot of caution advised uh, from the three tech on these five coaches Uh, guys. That was a, that was well done. Good effort tonight. Our top five head coaching, head scratching hires. Again, write in. Let us know what you think. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at 3TechPod. You can also write into the Gmail, 3TechPod at gmail.com. Let us know. Did we get it right? Did we get it completely wrong? Who would you have put as your top five and why? Let us know. Um, join this community. Let us hear it, Husky Nation. Part of it. We're ready for it, Husky Nation. Come at us. That's, that's right. You, <laughs> UConn, come on with it. Uh, bring bring all the fury. Um, but that's going to do it here for episode two of the 3 Tech Pod. Again, uh, write in. Let us know what you think. Guys, it's been a blast. And uh, obviously looking forward to continuing to get this podcast uh, up and running and uh, continuing to crank out content as we head towards uh, the preseason this summer and then eventually the regular season from 2022 Garrett you're going to be keeper of the takes this season I gotta ask you the last question here just how fired up are you to bring these scalding hot takes this season oh my gosh yeah no we are pumped about this I am so ready to set college football on fire and hopefully be a little bit of a a Twitter villain that's that's my hopeful arc for this uh, college football season is to become a bit of a villain on Twitter and uh, have most of college football telling me how bad I am at things, despite the fact that I'm right. <laughs> uh, we've got our next, we've got our next hot takes personality. Ready Another to go national. great episode. That's right. That's right. All right, guys. Well, we'll get out of here on that episode two of the three technique, a college football podcast until next time. So long, everybody. Yeah.